Hello again, friends. Welcome to My Back 40 and the My Back 40 podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. No voice intros for you today, which is really unfortunate. I thought I'd start with the new year with some great new voice intros, but that's okay. If you want to send me a voice intro, please do whip out your device, record me something and send it to myback40podcast at gmail.com. Love hearing from you guys. It's great. And you know what? It's kind of like, I know you guys like hearing from me too. And I've had some comments saying, where are you? We miss your voice. And you know, the holidays, this, this Christmas and new year's was weird for me. So I'm going through separation. Um, you know, I, I get my kids on a certain schedule and the kids have two weeks off over Christmas. So, you know, um, uh, mom had them for the first week. I had them for the second week. And, uh, during that time, you know, I'm trying to balance work. Um, I was remote. Um, I had to get back, get my kids, you know, they had Christmas with their mom, they had Christmas with me. And then I picked them up, uh, on the second week of Christmas and I took them out to Canmore and we had Christmas number three with my partner. And, uh, so it's, it was a very strange, uh, holiday season for me because of the displacement. Um, um, but what was wonderful about it, absolutely wonderful was to get back to like, I have always kind of really dug Christmas, you know, not, not from a religious context. Um, Christmas to me has always been about family. You know, there's a certain magic about it. You know, we're programmed, you know, our minds hold certain spaces for certain events that we have in our life. And Christmas was always a really special time in my life. You know, there's that magic, that excitement. And even when you learn that Santa Claus doesn't exist, don't tell anybody that. But once you, once you, once you, even that, it doesn't matter because it's just a wonderful time. And, um, I always have, I have great memories of Christmas and, and Christmas this year was just amazing in Canmore with my partner, Amy, and, um, who's a Christmas fanatic. I don't think she would mind me saying that she loves Christmas. And to her, it's about giving, giving, giving. She's such a generous person. And, um, it was just a wonderful, different, big, energetic, beautiful, third Christmas for me. Uh, second Christmas was wonderful as well. Having my kids on my own in my little apartment here and spoiling them a little bit as much as I could. And, and, uh, you know, just trying to adapt to this new chapter in my life. And it's, it's interesting today, you know, as, as much as I sound fairly upbeat right now, I had a really shitty day (laughs) and a really emotional day today. Um, really poor sleep last night, lots of things going on. It's just hard, right? But, but what makes it easy and, and I just have to send out huge, huge thanks and love to my, my partner, Amy, who's just been so supportive to me, but my sister, my sister, Kimberly O'Shaughnessy, who's just been an amazing, um, crutch for me. And of course my family, I'm going to tell you this great story in a second, but that's the thing. It's like to be able to have someone that you can just kind of lean on and, uh, vent to and, and get advice from and listen to. Um, cause when you're in the shit, you're not thinking right anyway, especially when you're sleep deprived, <laughs> you're not thinking, you're not thinking clearly or rationally. So a lot of things set me off today and, and, uh, I feel like I'm coming out the other side, a splitting headache, cried a lot, you know, just, it was hard. Um, so what happened over Christmas, which was so wonderful is, um, so I'm driving the kids out to Canmore and uh, I pull up in front of Amy's house and she comes out on the porch and she's like, come on in, 
come on, don't worry about your bags. Just get in here. Come on, hurry, hurry. And she, it's like, it was weird because even coming in, she was like, make sure you text me when you get to Castle Junction. And then on the way in, she's like, where are you? How far out are you? Are you there yet? Are you here yet? And it's like, I'm, I'm so dense. I didn't really think of these things, right? I, I, it was just weird. It was just kind of weird behavior. Because usually it's like, I'm at Castle Junction. I'll see you in half an hour. That's kind of the way it works. So she's on the porch and she calls calls us in, me and, and Jasper and Sloan. And uh, we get inside the house. She goes, hurry up, take your boots off, go in the kitchen. And we go into the kitchen and half the half the kitchen's papered off with uh, uh, Amy's super environmentally conscious. So she wraps a lot of her gifts in just, just brown paper. Um, Santa gifts usually are wrapped a bit more fancy, obviously, but... but um, the whole room was like papered off and on on it was written Merry Christmas um, Jasper Sloan and Steve uh, Sloan Jasper and Steve I can't remember but so she counts down three two one and the kids tear the paper down and my mom and dad are standing there <laughs> getting emotional just talking about it but I, I haven't seen my parents for three years in person I haven't been around them for three years and they haven't seen their grandkids for three years so Amy invited them out to spend Christmas in Canmore and it was wonderful. It was just so beautiful to be able to see my folks again. And, uh, you know, through COVID and through relationship complications, you know, all this stuff that kept them away and, 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 and to, to see them and to hold them and to hug them. Uh, it was really special. I think we had a really special time. Of course, uh, having four adults and four kids between the ages of five and 12 were, it was crazy. I have to say it's crazy. And I'm going to say this. And I, I told this kid a number of times how much I appreciated him. Amy's oldest son. Um, I'm not sure if you want me to say his name on here. Um, to, like really took it upon himself to entertain the kids, get the kids breakfast, you know, keep them occupied so that, you know, the, the adults could sleep in. So buddy, you're amazing. Levi, you're amazing. You're an amazing little dude. You're a big dude. You're not a little dude. You're an amazing dude. And I appreciate you so much for, um, everything you did to, uh, help over that week. So it was a crazy Christmas. It was a special Christmas. There was no downtime. Um, I did some fat biking. I did some ice skating, which I'm a shitty skater. I actually crashed super hard. I'm still feeling it in my knee and my uh, <laughs> my elbow. I hit the I hit the deck so fast, so hard. Um, but uh, uh, I feel like I'm coming back. I know it's it's been a while. It's been a really long time, and I do really feel badly about that because you know there's people out there that support me, and I I don't want to let you guys down. And I've said that to some of my closer listeners. Um, who I've communicated with, it's like, you know, I just, I just feel so much pressure, right. To, to, to put this out. It's, and it's not like it's a bad thing. I love doing the podcast. Um, but I really must, I don't have many Patreons. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna thank you. Adam, Sky, Chase, Mark, Guy, uh, Michael, Dave, Jim, Jocelyn, uh, the underclass, <laughs> Brad, Eric, Sean, Johnny, Laura, David, Paul, and Jeffrey. I don't have hundreds of Patreons. I'd really like to have more Patreons. Not really sure how to, how to facilitate that, but all of you who I just, the names that I just listed, thank you so, so very much for contributing to this project. 
and it makes me feel good that people are getting something out of it because as much as I've been dragging my feet a little bit to get these podcasts out lately, the podcast still means the world to me. It's, it's, it's a, it's a project that I've built over the last couple of years and I continue to, I, 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 my intention is to continue to bring you conversations as much as I can, whether they're solo conversations, just me shooting the shit to, with myself or conversations with great guests like I have today, Megan Hakkinen. So I just want to thank everyone. And if you find value in the podcast and you want to give back, you can do that. You can head on over to patreon.com slash myback40. You can find the links on my website, myback40.org. And, you know, for a couple bucks a month, you can just chip in. And it helps me grow, helps me pay for equipment, helps me pay for my internet connection. It helps me sometimes even pay for groceries, especially lately with the situation I'm going through right now. It's the patrons that I have um, are are valued. I can't even explain to you how valuable you are to me because you're helping me through this chapter of life. You can also PayPal me, one-time PayPal. I think you can set up um, recurring PayPals as well if you're so inclined. And uh, I just kind of like to frame it like if you were to see me out on the trail or walking down the street, you say, hey, there's Steve from My Back 40. I want to buy you a coffee. Five bucks. You know, it helps out. So for all of you who who contribute and who have contributed, and you know what? For all of you who contributed during my my, uh, tour divide run where my credit card was swiped and had to be canceled, my supported effort on the tour divide for the people who supported me during my BC Epic yo-yo when I raised $2,200 for the Masaka cycling club, you contributed not only to the Masaka cycling club, but you also contributed to me and you helped me. You bought me burgers. You bought me beers. You got me hotel rooms during that effort. And yeah, you know what? It's not a fully self-supported effort, uh, in that respect because I'm getting support from you. But it was all for a good cause, you know, like um, some of the feedback I got when I was saying that I didn't think I was going to finish the tour divide is some of you who have been listeners for, for so long would reach out to me and say, dude, you've been talking about doing the tour divide for years. Here's 50 bucks. Go get a hotel room and a burger or a subway or whatever and, and just keep going. Finish it. Finish it. So I really owe a lot of that to you. 2022 is a was a crazy year for me on a lot of different levels. So to have the support of this My Back 40 community, um, to have the, the, the support of my friends and family and the people I've leaned on through this couple of years of self-growth that's leading me to giving me the strength and the courage to, to move on into my life into a different, start this different chapter of life. Fuck, man, I just, I owe you guys the world. So I want to thank you again because I've been profusely thanking you for the last fucking 10 minutes. I want to just thank you so, so much. I also want to thank a couple sponsors quickly. You know what? Before I do that, I listen to a couple podcasts, and I hope that you don't mind. I kind of repeat the same sponsors a lot. I've had the same sponsors for some time now, and I'm just going to quickly, you know, Ryan Draper, Cycling 101, uh, MB40, if you use that coupon code, you're going to get 20, uh, sorry, 50% off your first month of coaching, which is a great deal. Ryan's been my longest running supporter. He believed in me through Bikepack Canada. And when I started my back 40, he really wanted to support me. So it's, it's basically Ryan Draper that paid for my initial domain registration and um, basically getting the website up and running. So he's been a long time supporter. Please give him some love. If you don't follow him already, uh, Ryan Cycling 101 on Instagram is where you'll find him. So make sure you 
give him some love. Um, and then Dynamic Cyclist, they've been a sponsor for at least the last year. I should get the date for sure. They have the same coupon code running, and MB40 is going to save you 25% off your programming. I've just started ramping up my, my stretching and mobility routines. I'm hurting. Um, I, I need to get my shit together, and I'm not the most disciplined dude. But it was Dynamic Cyclist that got this guy off the couch <laughs> from that yo-yo, which basically destroyed my uh, IT band and groin and uh, knee. I'm having all these weird issues on my left side still. But Dynamic Cyclist helped me to uh, finish the Tour Divide, no question. So if you're looking for some really great programs to improve your stretching and mobility, Dynamic Cyclist is for you. And B40 will save you 25% off. So please check them out. And by supporting my supporters, you're also supporting me. So it's a great way. If you don't want to do the Patreon thing, you don't want to do the PayPal thing, I totally get it. You can reach out to those sponsors uh, and give them some love, sign up for some of their services, and I get some kickbacks. It really helps me out. Redshift Sports has been a supporter for the last few months, and I've been running their shock stop, suspension stem, as well as their seat post, not their pro model, but their, um, their other model, which is a two-spring system. And all I can say is I fucking love it. <laughs> to be to be bold about it, um, the fat biking around lately has been fairly. We haven't had a lot of fresh snow. The trails are running pretty icy and a little chundery. And uh, who was it that said they didn't like when I used that word chunder because it reminds them of vomit. <laughs> I use chunder all the time, but uh, just rough, you know, post hold trails. And and I'm finding that the seat post is incredible for sucking up a lot of that little stuff. And um, all that equipment is going to go right onto timber, my bikepacking rig in the summer. And uh, I can't wait to do some longer uh, trips with the suspension stem and seat post. So if you use the code MB40 at redshiftsports.com, you're going to save 15% off their gear. I think they actually have better promos running now, so make sure you check. You might be able to get even 20% off. That might have been just through the new year, but check them out. Um, I really dig their stuff and, um, it's elegant, it's simple and it's functional. I really love Redshift Sports for their stuff. The newest sponsor to come on to the podcast is Blivet Sports. Uh, Patrick sent me a care package, which included basically his entire offering. And all I can say is I'm super, super, uh, happy and proud to be representing Blivet Sports. Um, the, the uh, crawl helmet is amazing. It's got the flip down visor. Some of the comments on Instagram have been, you know, look at Spaceship Steve or whatever, but I really dig the helmet. I really like the visor. And even at night, I'm running the, uh, the uh, is it yellow or <clears throat> it's not gray, but it's kind of like, a, like an orange iridium, uh, uh, the, the visor. And it's great at night. It's awesome at night because it actually increases contrast of the snow. So, um, and also protects you when people forget to turn their lights off when they look at you and <laughs> they shine 5,000 lumens in your face. It kind of helps with that as well. But I really dig the helmet. Fits really nice. It's really nice and warm. And uh, it, if I have a huge head and it just, it fits me perfectly and I love it. The other thing I love is their boots. I'm running their Kilo FLT flat pedal boot and I love it. I love this boot. One, I was using Keen Summits before and they're a fantastic boot as well, but they, they have more of a lugged sole. So they never could really find their happy spot on the pedal. 
the Kilo FLT actually has a really nice uh, waffle sole pattern or ribbed sole pattern. It's flat. It's slightly concave as well. And it sits on the pedal really, really nice. And it's sticky as fuck. Like it won't move. And so I've been having a great time. They're also super lightweight. And they ditched the BOA lacing system and they went for this uh, this proprietary lacing system they have on here. And it's basically pulleyed and it's like a one pull kind of mechanism where you pull it up and you slide a toggle down and they're on, um, which makes them super easy on and off. Like you just, you know, you, you, you lift the toggle and the boots just basically fall off. But when they're on, they're super secure and they're warm as hell. They're super, super warm. So I can't, couldn't be happier with their boot. If you're looking for something like that, Check them out. I highly recommend them. The other thing I've really been digging, and I've been running the 45 North Expedition Pogies for some time, and they're great. Don't get me wrong. Um, I love how roomy they are. Um, and it's great for you to you know be able to stash stuff in if you want to hide some food in there, or or if you you know they're pretty warm. So if you want to take your gloves off, you can just kind of leave them in the Pogies. Um, they just kind of sit in the bottom by your grips. But uh, Blivet sent me the Voke Pogies and the Mund Grips kit. So this is like, um, it's more of a, it's it's not like an expedition pogie. It's, it's, it's open at the wrists and it's more of like a windbreak than a full expedition pogie that, that tightens down on your forearms, which, um, which is great. Um, but one, they're super slick. They're really sleek um, and they're easy in and out because, you know, there's not that shock cord opening that you can kind of change like the like the expedition pogies have they're just a great all-around pogie and i haven't run them in super super cold weather yet but with the um lofi 5 uh 200g liners um which are super warm it's this really lovely fleece liner but with those pogies and that liner and then with the grips the foam grips that almost they almost feel like they're heated and they're giving heat back to your hand. It's an amazing setup. And I'm sure lots of you are running a foam grip out there maybe. If you're not, if you're still running a traditional rubber grip on your handlebars, flip them out for, for these uh, the Blivet foam ones. They're, they're amazing. They're lock-on. They go on super snug. And that in combination with the, uh, the pogies have, have just been a game changer for me. Um, like I say, I really like how sleek they are and they're small and they're light. Um, you know, I, I'll have to ride them in minus 30. We're, we're going to get there eventually. Um, I imagine they will not be as warm as the 45 North Expedition Pogies. However, if I wear the 300G liner, the Lofi 5 300G liner, it's going to be that much more warm. So lots of great ways to keep the hands warm. The other day I went for a ride and I had to take the gloves off and I was just, I, I, I kind of jokingly call it riding bareback, <laughs> riding bareback with no gloves in the Pogies. Um, and my hands were still warm. I could feel the heat coming off the foam grips. It was just amazing. So super highly recommended. The other thing that I thought when when Patrick sent them to me, I was like, "What am I going to do with these?" They're the uh, I think it's pronounced Tinder, not with the E R, not with the T I N D E R T I N D R, and they're tire covers. And at first, I was like, "These seem a bit clunky." I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with them, but you know what? I live in a small space now. And when I bring my fat bike into basically my living room, I put these tire covers on and it just keeps from scratching the vinyl floor. My studs don't scratch the floor. But also what was great is the other day I went for a ride. I had to throw the the bike in the van 
And uh, when I threw it in the back of the van, the tire covers are on and now the studs aren't going to scratch up all the upholstery and shit inside the car. So um, now I really love them. <laughs> I love them and they're super sexy actually. And uh, at first I thought they were going to be clunky and kludgy to put on, but they're actually super easy to put on. And like I say, it's kind of a nice way to, to keep, you know, if you, if you live like me and you have a small space and your bike is basically in your living room, you want to keep things clean, the tire covers are great. So head on over to blivetsports.com, check out their whole run of amazing fat bike accessories and uh, pick some stuff up. I don't have a coupon code for you, but I'm going to try to get one, okay? Um, if you reach out to Patrick, maybe just say that uh, my back 40 sent you, maybe he'll give you a bit of a deal. I'm not going to say though, that's not, an, uh, that's not an arranged, that's not an arrangement is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but uh, give that stuff a try. Anyway, I don't want to go on too much. I just wanted to thank those sponsors. I want to thank Lakeside Bikes, um, who helps me out uh, mostly in the summers when I'm getting my rig ready for for whatever adventures I'm going to go on. I want to thank Spandex Panda, my my official sock supplier. He's always sending me socks, and we're working on something as well. Um, and Curtis, I'm sorry I haven't been super engaged with it again. I can barely get the podcast out. So I'm trying my best. Um, and I want to thank uh, Rollingdale Cycles for building a fucking amazing Thai uh, uh, bike packing rig like cannot wait to ride that bike again. I don't want to thank K light for making wicked, awesome lights, dynamo powered lights and charging systems. God, I've probably forgotten somebody, you know, this podcast has come a long way. You know, it really has over the last year and, um, or two years. And, um, I just want to thank everyone. I want to thank everyone again for their support. I want to thank my sponsors for their support. And I really hope you're finding value. And as I said before, there's lots of ways you can support me. And another great way to support the podcast is just to give me a five-star rating and a review on your favorite listening platform. It helps me grow and reach more people. And, and that's, you know, some of the great ways you can help. Um, I don't know what else I want to say, man. I've been fucking chatting for 22 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Um, I want to say that, you know, as the podcast is, has gone on over the last couple of years, even from the bike pack Canada days, I find it's evolving. It's changing. Um, you know, you'll notice that sometimes I don't always talk about bikes. Um, like even in this podcast with, with Megan, we, we eventually started talking about bikes, but I wanted to talk about her creative process in writing. You know, she's a writer, she does writing workshops and we'll learn all about that in the podcast. But, you know, I've been leaning really heavy into men's mental health um, I've been probably maybe leaning a bit too heavy into my own shit, but honestly, I find that, um, and I've talked about this before too, just, just being vulnerable and sharing yourself tends to be rewarded is the wrong word, but reciprocated with other people reaching out and sharing their stories. And I think, um, especially over the last couple of years where mental health has been, there's been some dramatic things that have, that have happened in the last couple of years, you know? Um, uh, Johan Georgiev, not to name, you know, only one of many, but I think it's important that through this community that we've built here in my back 40, that we just, you know, stay close, man. Like, like I said before, if, if, if you ever have something that you're struggling with and you need to bounce shit off of somebody and you just don't know who to talk to, you can reach out to someone in the community. You could, and I've said this before, it's like, you know, I'm no, I'm no fucking therapist, but reach out to me and I'll help and we'll talk. And I think just knowing that there's someone out there who wants to listen and someone out there who, who wants to share and, 
who shared themselves and, and someone to talk to, it just means you're not alone. So I know I've said that a few times on here, but, but if you're struggling with, with mental health in, in any way, shape or form, and, and you need to talk about it, let's talk about it. Okay. Reach out myback 40 podcast at gmail.com. You can DM me. I've been getting into the habit of responding to people's uh, engagements with uh, voice memos because I think, um, well, I know I've got stubby fingers and I find typing on the iPhone pretty hard sometimes. <laughs> so often I'll just uh, launch a recording and just uh, send a note, uh, a voice back. And, um, you know, you get to you get to engage with me in that way. And if you have any questions or if you want any advice about, you know, I'm not a coach. Um, I've been cycling forever. If you if people reach out to me sometimes and ask me uh, for advice on certain things and I'll share what I know. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I love to share and I love to empower people more to get out on their bikes and push their limits. So, um, don't be shy. Reach out my back 40 podcast at gmail.com. So in this podcast, I'm talking with Megan Hackinen. I don't have a super uh, detailed Tim Ferriss esque intro for you to tell you all her uh, about all her of her accomplishments. But if you search her on Instagram, uh, Megan Hackinen, Meg Hackinen, you'll find her. She's um, she's an artist. She's a, a writer. She's a, a beautiful conversationalist, and she's a savage athlete. She uh, she has tackled some great great many well it's been the last year what did she say it was like 22 countries over two continents um uh just riding her butt off basically and doing some really really cool events some 24-hour events um she did the transcontinental race and uh we talk a little bit about that in this podcast and we you know just shoot the shit i just haven't caught uh you know the the, the last time i interacted with her uh, the most notable time was after the AR 700. I think I rolled in on fifth or sixth, sixth. I can't remember, but she was there waiting with a beer for me. And that was the first time anyone had ever met me with a beer. Cause oftentimes you're finishing these things at whatever midnight, two in the morning sometimes. And, and, uh, I just remember, um, you know, she was there, Sarah Hornby was there, Kyle Messier was there. Um, uh, uh, Oh, who else was there? There's tons of people there, but it was just a wonderful way to end. And I just remember hanging out with, with Megan after the race and just having a great chat. And, um, and also she won the BC Epic the year that I yo-yoed it. So she went ahead and finished it. And like, I don't I can't remember Megan. We didn't even talk about the BC Epic to be honest much, but, um, yeah, she just crushed it and it was so hot that summer and uh, I just remember finishing that yo-yo and just think I had so much respect for her, you know, just a savage woman going out and just just crushing these courses. So anyway, we have a great conversation and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I'm going to stop talking now. And without further delay, I bring you Megan Hackinen. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty low key day. Um did some writing, did some cleanup. I'm uh, I'm heading to Oaxaca next Saturday, so I kind of have to take care of a few things before I go. It's a bit last minute. Mexico? Yeah, yeah. So I have some friends down there, and oh, cool. they were inviting me to come see them. And I didn't – you know when people invite you for something and you're never really sure how serious they are? And yeah. you're like, well, I'm not going to just invite myself and take this one thing you said for real. But uh, 
yeah, they called me um, a couple of days ago and they're a retired couple and they're like, you know, we're heading to the beaches, come join us. <laughs> and so I checked and there was some good flights, I think because of the cartel violence in other parts of Mexico. So oh, it's like, yeah. Does that make you nervous? No, it's it's in a completely different area and there's like travel advisories, but not in the area near where I'm going. And if you look at a map, like Oaxaca is so far south, it's like it's a completely different part of the country. So I feel like, you know, the cartels are a problem in Mexico, but I think each region has its own problematic cartels. And this one is. Yeah. And if, if they feel safe, they're like a couple of retired folks um, from Oregon. So if they feel safe, I'm not too worried. Do you think sometimes that. um excuse me, the, the, the environment we're living in where things are just amplified, like mm. the news is amplified. Do you think that maybe that's just an amplification coming into North America and really it's not as bad as it seems? Or is do you think it's really that bad? I think that there's, uh, I think things are a little worse right now than usual, like around Mazatlan. Like there was uh, like uh, people firing at airplanes and like the flights were grounded oh and uh, people holding up in their hotels because like the buses were just being lit on fire. So oh I think at this moment, there's actually a bit of chaos going on. But in general, I think there is this amplification of like the negative and um and, you know, if you look at our own communities, like crazy things happen. There was like some guy who was attacked on the bike path here in Kelowna by two people uh, a year or two ago. And he's like, you know, severely paralyzed now. And it was just like a random attack. And that that kind of stuff really scares me because it's so close to home. Right. And I ride uh -huh. on that bike path like all the time and it seems pretty safe. And, you know, there's some homeless encampments around. Um which kind of, you know, make you feel a little bit on guard. But um, I don't think that had anything to do with the attack. I think it was two people who were just like, I don't know. I have no idea. Like, like just, it was just super, random. super random, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just unnecessary and unprovoked, which is a really scary thing. So, um, yeah, and I guess I, I almost don't want to poke too deep into the news close to home right because it might yeah. impact my actions uh, <laughs> too severely and i might not want to go out at all you know it's funny i don't have tv <clears throat> i have probably what a lot a lot of people have is just netflix and, right. and whatever so i don't really and i don't purposefully i don't really keep up on the news because i know there's so much amplification of stuff that's just i don't need to know mm -hmm. but i was on the island in the summer and um, watching, you know, cable TV news and it was all bad. Yeah. And, and my kids were watching it too. And, oh. and they're, yeah. And they're taught like, and they shouldn't have been, you know, but you know, grandma and grandpa wanted to watch it. So, you know, we're watching the news and they're talking about this person died and this officer was shot at and this happened and that happened. It's like all these, all these random acts of violence. And it's just sometimes, it makes it seem like it's so unsafe everywhere, but really that's mm -hmm. not, it's not the reality. Like I, I do feel like we're pretty safe. Um, yeah, but Mexico people shooting at planes. That's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that whole thing wraps up pretty quick. And like I said, hopefully. I'm not flying into that region. <laughs> oh so, um, so yeah, no, it sounds like a, it sounds like it'll be a, kind of a fun vacation. I'm not bringing my bike because I got a really cheap ticket and the uh, luggage is expensive. So I'm hoping to rent one while I'm down there. And so I'm going to bring um, like a, you know, basic cycling kit yeah. tools, my pump and, and just be ready to borrow a bike or rent one and go out and do some fun day rides. And um, I'm not really planning anything too serious. I have to work part-time while I'm down there. So I don't want to 
you know, end up uh, trying to do too much, but I, I would love to to get out and, and bike a bit. And I think from Oaxaca, there's a lot of villages you can get to by like dirt roads. And um, it sounds like a kind of fun day adventure anyways, mm. getting to try some new food and, uh, you know, roam around on my bike or my borrowed rental bike or whatever it ends up being. Yeah, just get a beach cruiser. Are you kind of... Are you kind of over the bike after the summer? Like, do you, do you feel like as an athlete, you just need to, to dial it back and have some time off? Yeah, definitely. I really, uh, I turned it off in November after the 24-hour race. I actually had a really bad saddle sore, and I usually don't get terrible saddle sores. You know, I have some some minor issues, but they always seem to heal up. But it, it was becoming problematic before the race, and then I rode 24 hours straight on it, and, like, it was it was terrible. Like, I, it was, uh, like I, I probably should have gone to see a doctor, and I've never had anything like that before. So that kind of forced me off the bike for about a week. And then uh, I was in Portland with James and I have a single speed there. So I was just cruising around town and we did some hiking and um, I think I set my bike up on the Ender Trainer, but I didn't use it very much. So November was pretty low key. And then I uh, was going to do festive 500 in December and I was like, I don't feel like it. No one's counting. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I'm good. Um, and I don't have a Zwift membership, right? So I'd have to buy it for the month and I just... Uh, I just didn't do it. It was nice to lay low. And yeah, you had like I, I like I said before we connected. I'm super unprepared for this conversation. <laughs> In fact, you know what what I was thinking about wanting to talk about maybe initially before we get into talking about bikes is I wanted to talk about riding because oh cool yeah totally. yeah because um I've I'm trying to take my um my career life in a different direction. I really want to work remotely. I really enjoy mm -hmm. it. I just more about creativity. You know, I just find I get so much meaning out of while well, either doing the podcast or writing something or taking uh, like photography or okay. just whatever. Like what's your, in, in terms of writing, like what's your process? How do you, yeah. like, how do you, how do you like when you, does a topic just tumble into your mind or an idea come into your mind and you're like, yeah, I want to write about that. And then what's your process around making that a reality? So like my main reason for becoming better skilled in writing was to talk about my bike experiences and in, a, in a more profound and meaningful way, because I was keeping a blog when I toured across Canada in 2010 and uh, and it, you know, it wasn't great writing. It was, it was very exciting, uh, exciting for me to share what I was doing, but I, I look back and it's not, um, yeah, it's very repetitive. There's a lot of exclamation marks. It's not very deep. <laughs> But like I was riding my, riding my bike across Canada, like, of course, there's an interesting story there. So I went back to school to study creative writing. And I think a lot of the uh, reasons I want to write are to share my experience. And I've written a bit of fiction. And I think that's more about sharing or trying to like illuminate some human truth that I have experienced through a fictional lens. Um, but my process, I guess, is when I, um, when I, when something has happened and I keep thinking about it and thinking about it and, and sometimes it's hard to put things into words or sometimes maybe you don't have, maybe it doesn't all come to you in a conversation. Like I, I've often felt frustrated because I try and talk about something and I can't, I can't say it the way I want to say it. And so if you sit down and write on the topic, it's like this kind of uh, cathartic process where things come out that maybe you didn't even know were there. And it's a really beautiful thing just to do as a creative practice. Even if you don't share it with anyone, I think it helps you know yourself better. Um, 
And then the next step is kind of um, working with that creation and kind of pulling out the the gem of the story or or what you want to to really dig in on because I find when you start writing on something, you actually realize there's a ton of stuff there and, and it ends up, um, uh, it's illuminating, but there's often a lack of focus. So um, after I kind of write on something, it's finding out what I really want to say about it in this piece. And um, and sometimes that might end up being a whole book or sometimes it's uh, like a personal essay style piece. Um, and I think a essay doesn't sound very exciting, but no. you know, anything, yeah, <laughs> anything you would write for a blog post or a journal, like, you know, as long as it's like, yeah, as long as you're in it, I think it's kind of a personal essay and it can be really free form. Um, so, so yeah, I guess that's my, my process. I try and write shorter snippets and then expand them. And I, I think that, you know, by, by trying to condense things, um, it forces you to kind of be creative with your language and imagery. And uh, I think one of my problems is I overwrite things and I will say something in 3000 words that I could say in, you know, 1500. And it's, it's really hard to trim it down. It takes a lot of um, distillation and reading things over and cutting out repetition and, and finding creative, unique ways to say things. But it's also very satisfying because once you spend some time with something, it, uh, it transforms. And I, I, I look back at my earlier drafts and you can just see how far that transformation um, takes you. So that's kind of interesting, I guess. Well, you're always learning, right? Like just, <laughs> just, just with any art or with any muscle you need to exercise you need to keep writing. Mm -hmm. And then I found too that, I mean, personally, I don't think I'm the greatest writer, but I really enjoy writing, but I find, um, taking time to write and regurgitate stuff on the page and then go back and read it and then make it more concise or even using an online tool to find, um, um, you know, synonyms for words yeah. that you'd ordinarily use, which I'd never claim that I'm a wordsmith or have a great vocabulary, but that exercise has given me a better vocabulary, you know, just by, you know, exercising that muscle. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's funny too, you say like, as you regurgitate ideas on the page, sometimes, I find that the common thread emerges over time. Yeah. It's like, you don't really know. Sometimes I feel like I don't know why I'm writing something, but then as you write and regurgitate and regurgitate, you start seeing like, Oh, this is about, um, you know, say for me, the big thing was just epiphanies that you have when you're pushing yourself. Like I'm sure you're okay. thinking about that all the time when you're, when you're on a ride and you just, you, you let your mind wander and then something bubbles up from your, your subconscious that you haven't thought of for a really long time. It's like, wow, that'd be a really great to write about. Or I never thought that that, where did that come from? You know, where do these ideas come from? What kind of epiphanies do you have when you're out there grinding through a saddle sore for 24 hours? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the good thing about that race is I didn't feel it at all. Like I think okay. it was there and I felt it afterwards terribly, but during the race, I don't know, man. I think the adrenaline just masked it. Thank God. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like an idiot because I just kind of look around and enjoy the scenery. In the case of that twenty-four hour race, it was just the the cactuses and the it was it was more darkness than daylight. So you're really just out there riding through the dark, and you kind of mm. know the course quite well. So it's it's almost um, just you know mapping it out like okay i'm gonna turn right here well it's all right turns but right. you know the corner's coming up like i'm gonna try and uh i don't know keep my speed as much as possible and uh okay this is where i get the tailwind oh there's rougher pavement here i'm gonna avoid this 
Um, but I definitely like have thoughts that, um, you know, I think sometimes mm, some of my bigger life goals and dreams maybe come to me when I'm out there on the bike and, and, and the little voice saying like, Oh, Megan, like you could do this. Like, don't limit yourself. Like, uh, I think, I think I experience a lot of like clarity of what could be and everything seems possible when I'm on the bike. And then when I get back to earth, I'm just like, that's a crazy idea. What were you thinking? Um, and uh, I don't know which one is really the, the truth, but I, I think being able to be kind of free of like whatever societal constraints or whatever constraints we put on ourselves, it's, it's, it's kind of nice on the bike. And I don't think they're completely left field. Um, but, um, but yeah, I can't think of anything in particular. Um, I did write a bit about this in uh, a book that's coming out in the fall and I was going through a breakup with someone and I was processing kind of my next life steps on the bike because I was moving out of our house and there was just like nowhere to live because the semester had started and like there's just nothing cheap and I wasn't making a lot of money and I, I couldn't handle in my day-to-day -day life all these things I had to like do like you know moving out and organizing my stuff and saying goodbye to the pets and then on top of that I didn't like my job very much. And then on the bike, I kind of had these like um, moments of clarity where I was like, Megan, like chill out, just get back home, go on your computer, like search up accommodation and then go and look at the places like ah, stop being so over emotional about this. You know, you'll figure it out. Like say your goodbyes. It's it's as simple as that, you know. Um, so I, I, I do talk a bit about that in, um, in an upcoming book. And uh, yeah, I definitely really needed those bike rides at that time to clear my head and uh ground me a bit um yeah i feel that with um i talk about riding the divide a lot and that was life-changing for me in terms of i just wrote a post about that just about how um the truth emerges through all that silence and all that remoteness and all that alone time and then you tend to to um see things totally differently it, t it seems to attenuate all that stress. You, you're feeling mm. all this stress about these, right. these big life changes. Um, and I'm still dealing with it now. But and, and if you ask me if I could take a mood temperature at, this morning and then, you know, two or three hours later after I went for a ride and I actually met some people today, went for a coffee with, with a buddy I haven't seen for a long time. And I come back from those that experience and I'm completely my mood is completely colored differently than it was this morning. This morning is all stressed out about life because I'm going through a whole shit ton of weirdness right now. And then now it's just like, you know, just day by day, step by step, you know, there's career stress, there's, there's relationship stress, kid stress, all that stuff. And just by going out and, and moving through nature, it tends to just calm all that down. You'd agree. I'm with you there. Yeah. Totally with you there. Yeah. And then, you know, take a little, uh, a little ride like that and then amplify it into the tour yeah. divide when you're on the road for weeks and, and weeks, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're really committed to this journey, yeah. state after state after state yeah. and, you know, mountain passes and the, um, all sorts of weather, right? I was going through videos. I just, some, you know, the iPhone will just throw up these random shots of, you know, summer, blah, blah, blah. And I found this video and I was just so dark. Like I shot this, I was just talking to the phone and I just was so dark, super dark. And I looked so tired and it, it was, mm. it was like, I'm so done. Like I'm, I want to be done. Like it's still so far to the, to the end, but I'm so done. And I remember this moment and riding into this, 
into this vastness to the next whatever stage. And um, I kind of had planned to ride through the night. It was, it was a stupid idea. But then I ran into a buddy. It was maybe like midnight or 11 o'clock. It was dark and I saw his headlamp. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> it was AJ, my, my friend AJ. And I ended up staying with him. And it was like the best decision I could have made. But it's amazing how you go into this darkness and then just around the next corner, it's completely flipped. And it just, your attitude changes. Kind of like, I'm sure in a 24-hour race when, when the sun starts to come up. Like that, That's it. That yeah. feeling of just being kind of more switched on after you've just struggled all night. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, after like something like for me doing the transcontinental or you doing the tour divide, the 24 hour race seems pretty short and it's not easy. You're going in at a higher intensity mm -hmm. for a shorter period. So it's um, I, I do find it a bit stressful. Um, there's not much room to make mistakes, but, uh, you know, just to know that you're only going to see one sunrise. Right. And and you'll take that in and enjoy it. Um, did you make a lot of videos like of just kind of like I watched some of them on um, on Instagram, but did you make ones that you didn't share? Or have you like gone through and deleted some because you're like, this is <laughs> this no. is crazy talk. Actually, well, there's one I haven't posted because it's embarrassing to look at. I just remember um, riding into Silver City. I've told the story a couple times, but I haven't posted the video. I should post it because I just I just sound like a whiny little brat. Right. Like I come, you come <laughs> out of the, yeah, you come out of the desert and you're on this section of pavement and silver city wasn't, I don't know, it might've been 50 or 60 miles, which is, it's far, right. It's, it's a ways to go, but it was just this constant like false summit pavement climb forever and ever and ever. And then, um, you know, night fell and you're riding in the dark and you'll see a car go by you and the taillights will kind of disappear and then you'll see them go up again and you know that you just have another fucking climb and another one and another Man. one and Silver City. And then I'm thinking, well, at least after this, there's going to be this great coast, you know, down into whatever town it was, but it was just Silver City's a higher elevation town and it was just this nothing little descent into this town. And I, I remember just like, it was dark and I, I started a video and it's like, I don't know what I said. It's like fucking 50 miles of like this and I've got a blah. I was just whining and bitching, right? I was so choked. But then moments after I roll down into town and I hear this, the sound of a single person clapping. And it's my, it was my buddy, Alan, who met me there and he got a hotel room. He took me to Denny's, you know, quote unquote, unsupported race. But he was, he was my logistics out of New Mexico. So he was the dude that picked me up and took me to, to El Paso. So <laughs> And I thought I might have to pull the pin there. But there was that video. But there was another video I didn't post where I was talking about um, my relationship struggles and epif oh, okay. epiphanies that I've had while I was out on the trail and and how, you know, I was just trying to be a better man and a better husband and a better father. And I didn't post that either. I should. I'm getting emotional talking about it. Mm. But I got so dark because I hadn't seen anyone. I was just sitting on a log eating like a two-day-old burrito out of my frame bag and and just like kind of like feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> but it was good to talk, right? Even though there's no one listening, it was good just to say the words and talk, just words to power, right? Just talking about the mm -hmm. feelings and talking to myself basically in the middle of nowhere is what it was. But yeah, I took a few videos. I think it's a good way to capture the, the, the journey, I guess, because I may not do it again. I really want to do it again, but you know, um, 
I think if you're going to write about stuff too, it's such a great documentation. It's a great primary source, right? And yeah. you can go back to those videos and and uh, not just the words, but like, what do you look like? What's in the background? You know, what does what are your eye creases? How oh. deep are your eye creases? And and all of those details that um, are, are so much easier to conjure up when you've got a visual and the auditory, right? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think they're probably going to be good resources as well. Well, it's fun to go back to through all the photos and just you just watch your your body change over time. Like, I probably lost twenty pounds. You know, the cheeks are getting hollow, and your 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 sunburnt, your lips are parched. And I remember, yeah, I had this blister on my knuckle, this sun blister, and I was just rubbing like uh, um, zinc oxide on it. Cause I was just thinking oh, I'm totally going to get hand cancer from being out here in the sun for so long. Cause I don't wear gloves and just watching your body just, uh, just pretty much deteriorate, you know? And that's a, that's, that's me pretty casually riding over 27 days. And you have people doing it in 15 days who are just not sleeping and not eating and, you know, really, really pushing their limits, you know, and how your body's just, how the body just breaks down. Talk to me about the transcontinental. Yeah, talk to you about bodies breaking down. <laughs> Do completely it. destroyed. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a really challenging race. So for folks who don't know, the Transcontinental is a con- uh, bike race across the European continent. It has a, a different route every year, and um, this year it started in Gerardsberg in Belgium, and it finished in um, Burgas, Bulgaria. And there's, uh, I guess, a few checkpoints and mandatory parkours that you have to do but uh the rest of it is a self-navigating route so you create your route through these checkpoints and then you ride it and uh, whoever gets to the finish wins so there's a lot of things to consider when you're planning a route and a lot of uh potential for error and they say that those who kind of prepare the best are the most rewarded and i i found that to be true i did not prepare as well as mm-hmm. i could have but I also didn't screw up as bad as some people. Like there are some people who like missed checkpoints and had to backtrack and, and um, you know, uh, things happen along the race route as well. Like Ulrich, one of the fellows in the lead, um, he went to cross this ferry and there was three ferry crossings at the end that we were told we could take. And like two days before the ferry crossing, he went to stopped running and there was no updates or anything to tell us that. And he didn't check. And so he gets to this ferry crossing and it's not running. And he has to detour back to another ferry crossing. And uh, and and then after that, we all knew, like everyone behind him knew not to take that ferry crossing. Um, but uh, it's kind of one of the things about being in the lead, right? Like either you're breaking trail or you're the one finding out <laughs> schedules have changed for the rest of people to to make their lives easier. But yeah, it was a super challenging race. I think one of my big mistakes was that I hadn't been on a long tour for a while. And like the last big time, big, big time on the bike was probably North Cape 4000. And that was in 2019. And in 2020 and 2021, I just done short tours and I, you know, made them pretty cushy. Like I'd maybe camp out for a night, but I was stopping in restaurants or staying with friends and it wasn't too like wild and rugged or like race pace. Um, and, uh, I, I don't think I was as prepared as I needed to be for, to be on the road that long. I went a bit bonkers and I, I didn't make many videos. I didn't really talk to myself and I didn't talk to anyone else. So I kind of had this weird self-imposed isolation because I wanted to be like very smart and efficient, but I think I also got too inside my own head and I was in this pretty negative space for like the second half of the race. And I think if I had like maybe taken time to call a friend, they could have helped like 
pull me out of it. But, you know, when you're getting messages from people being like, you're doing such a good job, blah, blah, blah. I just kind of was like, they're just saying nice things to me. They don't mean it. I was like, just, I was such a jerk. I wasn't even responding to people anymore. And, um, you know, like I, I, on the one hand, I'm really grateful I had this experience because the, the checkpoints were all in awesome locations and I, I didn't do perfect route planning, but I got to see a lot of really cool roads and, and some of my, um, less uh less direct routes uh were actually way more gorgeous i think like i i routed through croatia like in the the hillside and there was some terrible pavement but there's like wild ponies running around and a great view of the sunset so you kind of have to weigh those two things um against each other um but yeah i was i was really destroyed when i finished and i was kind of shocked because i had always been able to kind of get back on the bike pretty quick after races and like you know i did the trans am in 24 days and i did the tcr in 12 days and it took me like twice as long to recover from the tcr mm. i like my hands were trashed from the you know eastern european roads and i like just mentally like couldn't focus like i think i just like, had exhausted myself in a in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to come home and I'm going to do the Big Sky Spectacular in Montana. And then I like injured my knee and my hands didn't work. I could barely even pack up my bike box <laughs> to like go home. Wow. And uh, and then I was so keen on doing this race and uh, my partner James was going to come down and do it with me. And, and we drove all the way there. And at the last minute, I was like, I can't do this. Like my knee hurts. My hands don't work. I lost my passport like the morning we're supposed to leave. And I was like, screw it like i'm done i'm I'm not gonna race um and i'd been hanging out with everybody at the uh, pre-ride the night before and and so they knew i was there they knew i was like ready to go and i just like roll over to the start to be like okay guys have a nice ride and uh i'm not i'm not i'm not doing it it was a really strange feeling um but i think it was the right decision i think i would have like dnf'd and i rather mm. dns than dnf and i spent the, the the time going on my own little tour and like noodling around and i was back to see james finish first so it was a uh, at least one of us did well <laughs> that's awesome and uh we kind of talked back and forth about maybe getting james on too but i'll have to get him on another time but he did the he did the um, 24 hour on a fixie, right? Yeah, he that's did. Awesome. He's a monster. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. How did you guys? Yeah, I'm... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, how did you guys do overall in that? We did really well. Um, we both won our categories. Right. So I won the women's field and he won the fixed gear field. And right. uh, I set a new women's course record and he set a new fixed gear course record. He beat the previous record by like, five minutes and he did the same distance but yeah it's really cool especially since like you know james is kind of like a portland dirtbag like he (laughs) shows up honestly (laughs) compared to especially compared to the self-supported racers like there's a lot of money a lot of disc wheels you know a lot of people who brought crews over from europe and stuff and and you know james shows up on this like all city big block that he like used to deliver pizzas on and no wheel upgrades like it's all pretty like you know pieces from the bike co-op that he's put together over the years and uh and yeah he did really well he rode super consistently i guess we both did uh the difference was he took longer breaks because in the fixed gear you don't get to rest your legs right you're always spinning 
So, uh, yeah, so he took longer breaks and we shared a crew made up of my parents and our, um, a friend, Randy, from Temecula in Southern California, who came out to help. So it was cool to have three people helping the two of us. Um, and uh, and they did a really good job of keeping us, like, you know, going. Except when I came into the um, the pit and James was coming in, they all helped me because they knew that, like... <laughs> I was going for like the women's record, right? So they would just be like, "James, take care of yourself this time." <laughs> yeah. so he got the shaft. Care of yourself. Sense. <laughs> he got <laughs> know, the shaft. Right? That's funny. Uh, but to be fair, like I wrangled all three crew members, so um... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, um, he did really well, and I I'm really happy with how I did too. And yeah, like the announcers were joking, like, "Oh, here's cycling royalty, Megan Hakkinen and James Fulton," and I would like pull some, and I would give him the little like queen wave because I'd been watching the crown and. That was my like high point of the season, <laughs> being called cycling royalty. Cycling royalty, that's funny. And your jester, James, your jester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a great way to end the season. I was pretty, uh, I was awesome. pretty stoked about that event, and um, and it was really fun doing some events with James this year yeah. because we both signed up for like the Big Sky and you know I DNF'd, and then we both went to the Big Lonely and he DNF'd. And then we both went to the 24 and we did well. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of funny just because, you know, you show up on the start line with somebody doesn't mean you'll both make it to the finish. Right. Like it's, uh, it's really, there's a lot of variables in these events. Yeah. Just part of the adventure. Right. I find Definitely, it, I find yeah. it really interesting on the transcontinental, the, the idea of everyone planning their own route. That's really interesting. Um, with that being said, like how many, how many different routes overall were people taking across the continent like did you see a lot of people when you're out there or are you pretty isolated because of all the different ways you can get from point a to point b there were certain areas where i'd bump into people more where there was less options like in certain countries i guess there there just seemed to be less options like in the um balkans in eastern europe i ran into people more frequently i would say whereas like crossing germany in the beginning there's just so many choices you could kind of go pretty far north into like the netherlands and skip out on some of the more hilly stuff or you could go south and skip out some uh, on some of the hilly terrain or you could go right through the middle which is what i did um and just like (laughs) destroyed myself but i I think during the beginning people were a little more spread out and then at every checkpoint you start to kind of funnel in and bump into people a little bit more often and maybe you might see someone at the checkpoint um and i I think that people who use the same tools to plan their routes are probably doing similar routes um so i used commute uh mostly and that wasn't something i was familiar with but we were offered a free trial subscription with our race entry fee and the checkpoints were kind of the segments were already in commute so it seemed easy to create a route with it and then i checked it with strava like heat maps and google maps um as well uh, i think people who used other sources like ride with gps or something probably came up with different route choices and um and bumped into those people more often and then some folks i i think just went you know way off in their imaginations and like if you looked at uh fiona kolbinger's roots she was like far away from everyone but she crushed it she placed like i think sixth maybe in the overall because she didn't get any penalties so um yeah i think that the program you use to plan your route uh it impacts who you're going to run into out there and what do you look at for variables like it, um, the amount of climbing over distance or the amount of tra- like you said you looked at heat maps and stuff so i guess to figure out traffic and and whatnot so there's there's not really any 
right or wrong way to do it, I guess. It's just kind of almost luck yeah. of the draw in a, in a lot of aspects. I think there's a bit of luck, I think, a, a bit uh, about what kind of rider you are. Um, I went for the shortest distance between places a lot of the time. And I don't think that was the best choice because sometimes there was some stupid elevation gain. And and all of the checkpoints are at high elevation points. So you're kind of... Um, you're, you're putting yourself through a lot of climbing and then you have to do this mandatory climbing to get to the checkpoints in future. I would probably try and, uh, try and eliminate more of that climbing in places where I could, even if it meant doing a bit more distance. Um, and some folks strategies were to kind of do much longer distances and avoid as much climbing as possible. So you're kind of banking on being on these uh, flatter, faster roads where you can really keep the momentum up. Um, so yeah, so I, I went like kind of fastest route from point A to point B that um, stayed on legal roads. One of the reasons for looking at heat maps is sometimes a road looks like it's good. And then if you see no one's been on it, like it's probably not legal for cyclists. It's probably a highway or something like that. So um, I, I learned more about like, you know, sometimes they don't adequately label gravel and pavement on Strava and Kamut. And I just believed the their labels and i ended up in a bunch of gravel when i thought it was going to be pavement and uh, i would actually love to go back to like Serbia and croatia with a gravel bike because i think there's a lot of cool stuff you could do but you know i i wasn't necessarily in the mood for it with a road bike with like 28 tires like i can't put bigger tires on and i just was really lucky i didn't get a flat but um again gorgeous scenery and then you do see other bike tires so you're like oh okay i'm not the only idiot going through yeah. like all of these gravel farms at 2 a.m <laughs> clearly someone else has been here thank goodness that kind of makes me want to ask a question about um about tire width because it seems like uh, especially on a road bike tires are, are getting wider like riders are going for a wider tire like 28 seems like a pizza cutter now compared to like wh like what's kind of the What's the trend in, in tire widths in terms of road bikes right now? Do you have a, an opinion I, on it? I think you're right. I think wider is more and more common. And I think more and more people are kind of like mm, not necessarily sticking to the road, right? You want to be able to include a little gravel segment if you have to. Like, for instance, where I live in the Okanagan, if I want to bike up to Vernon, I either have to go uh, on this like roundabout route or I can go on the highway, which just sucks. Or I can take this awesome gravel rail trail. But it is a gravel rail trail. And I do it all the time on my bike, and it's fine. But um, wider tires would make it a little more comfortable. My bike maxes out at 28s, and it's like, a, it's like a squeeze. They barely fit in. Oh. So I'm actually in the market for a new road bike that can handle wider tires. I think at the TCR, most people use like 30s or maybe 32s. I, I feel like I was one of the one with the narrower um, tire widths. And um, and tubeless tires. I think a lot of people were running tubeless tires, and they seemed to do like mine were fine. Um, near the end of the race, uh, my rear one just like wouldn't hold air, and I put a tube in, and it was fine. But I don't know. I did five thousand kilometers on it. I rode to the start from Switzerland. Like you know, they're not supposed to last forever, so I I don't blame it. Yeah, I had a conversation with someone about that the other day. Someone. Uh in the valley here you want, who wants to do the lost elephant they were asking me about tire width and especially on a dirt route it, i don't think there's really a right answer you know for because some people were riding there was people on the tour divide riding fat bikes you know which just made my knees hurt right <laughs> <laughs> and then people riding like you know 650b you know two inch tires this is a whole gamut of of different tire i don't know if there is a right tire width 
But I figure if you're on the road a lot um, and want to mix in gravel, then yeah, I think going wider would be a better choice. I don't know. I was watching some, was it Flow Wheels? They were they did a whole bunch of science around tire width and had determined that actually wider is a little bit better in terms of um, even for speed efficiency and, and whatnot. I don't know. Road biking is not in my wheelhouse at all, at all. Just like, are, are you becoming more comfortable on the dirt? I remember when you did the Epic, which you won, you crushed that. You you didn't have a lot of experience on the dirt, did you? That's right, yeah. I had just got my off-road bike like a couple months ago, and I'm, uh, I'm much more confident now. I, I took a lesson or two from um, a friend. She has a company called Okanagan um, Ski and Bike, and she's a mountain bike instructor. And she gravel bikes, she road bikes, she does all the things on bikes. So she kind of gave me this lesson in like underbiking and riding my uh, <laughs> cutthroat and yeah, down mountain bike trails. Yep. It was awesome. She taught me a lot of the mechanics around trail riding and and just gave me a lot of confidence. So that was really helpful. I think that helped me kind of level up. And you know, I I wanted to be faster but i think more importantly i wanted to be safe right i mm. don't want to like eat shit on the bike and lose my um lose my cool or break my bike or hurt myself and it's inevitable that you're gonna wipe out but like i i don't uh, i don't want to risk any more than i have to so it was a really great lesson i think i'm going to start my season with another um kind of like freshen up class with her in the spring just to um just to help me feel more comfortable out in the trail um, but yeah, no, I definitely feel better. I think a lot of it's just from, you know, getting experience on the bike. And um, after the TCR, I felt really confident on my road bike, though, on terrible terrain, just from being on it so much. Like, I, uh, yeah, I felt like <laughs> it felt pretty great with those 28 tires on this little bike. Um, next year, I don't have as many road things planned. I I look forward to exploring more stuff in the Okanagan on on dirt. And there's just a lot to kind of uncover here. And because I was traveling last summer, I didn't get to. So I think I'll be doing some more stuff close to home. You know, I, I love the road bike because it's it's speedy and quick and uh, and stuff. But I don't think it's the best bike for um, for every environment. And I think here in the Okanagan, it's more fun to have an, an adventure bike like the cutthroat or a gravel bike or something you can get off the pavement with. Yeah, that's cool. Um, tell me about Mallorca. Cause I remember like months ago you, you, I think I, I suggested, um, I listened to a podcast with Anthony Walsh for the, the, um, Roadman cycling podcast. Cause he was talking about oh, the Mallorca. Yeah. I yeah, don't know you if you ever, that to me. yeah. Did I you did. listen to it? Yeah, yeah. So he uh, is doing the 312. Yeah. So Mallorca is like this island off of Spain Mallorca. and it's this cycling paradise. And the the weather's pretty mild in the spring and fall. I think it gets too hot in the summer, but it's just a great place to kind of warm up for your season or, you know, spend some time in the fall um, when it might be cooler wherever you're from. Um, but yeah, it's just this road cycling paradise. People described it to me as like Disneyland for cyclists. And I, I didn't honestly believe a place like that could exist, but it does. And you get to these uh, gas stations and there's just bike parking everywhere. And the, there might be like one car in the gas station and 40 cyclists going in to refuel. Um, there's cafes with, you know, like literally hundreds of bikes parked outside of them. And no one locks their bikes. No one cares. Like, and, and I didn't worry about my bike because it's like the least expensive. The, the rental bikes are super nice as well. Well, um, because a lot of people don't want to fly with their bikes, so they just rent them there. It's pretty reasonably priced. Um, 
the training camp my coach runs, I think it's a thousand pounds for two weeks. I think that's maybe 1600 Canadian and that's with accommodation half wow. board. So breakfast and dinner and alcohol and guided rides. Awesome. So it's pretty reasonable. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good hill climbs that are, are pretty challenging. One of my favorites is a uh, Sacalabra and it's, it's quite a famous hill climb. I think somebody just recently beat the FKT on it, but I can't remember which pro it was, but um, I don't know, like the pros do it like half the speed I do it. it uh, it's a, it's a really great climb. You, um, you climb up to it and then you descend to the water and then you have to climb from the water to the, to the top of the climb. So once you're, you know, once you're at the bottom, there's no way out. You're kind of like locked into doing this hill climb. <laughs> um, and there's so many people of all abilities, you know, doing it. And I, I kind of just love the idea of, of the cyclists from all over the world, uh, you know, from beginner to advanced to pro, like climbing this hill for no other purpose than just climbing a hill and getting to experience that. And, you know, you can see some people are completely miserable and just <laughs> suffering. And some people are just charging up the mountain, like, you know, they're probably suffering too, but they're doing it faster. Um, and, and some people are chit-chatting or listening to music. And uh, and at the top, everyone's just really stoked and happy to have made it up to the top. So, um, and then I did the 312 while I was out there. And that's a pretty famous, like, kind of Grand Fondo sportif style event. And it's uh, 3,000, sorry, 312 kilometers and over 5,000 meters of elevation. Whoa. It's a, a mass start. Yeah, a lot of climbing. <laughs> it's like oh peak after peak after peak. And then wow. the second half is quite flat. But um, yeah, it's a mass start event, like 8,000 people. I'd never done oh an event like that before. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. Do they stage it? Like different stages of people? No, just all eight thousand. Nope. Holy shit! Nope. That's if you crazy. get a uh, uh, VIP pass, you get a spot up at the front. But if you don't, you have to line up, and it's just a closed road with like thousands of cyclists. And wow. and you know, this was at the end of April. Like I was still kind of you know coming out of this COVID cautious world, yeah. and I I was like, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Like I haven't been around this many people. And then I got to the event, and my name plate number plate on my bike broke off and i took my mask strings and i used them to fix my nameplate to my bike and i was like well guess you're not wearing a mask megan <laughs> um wow. and then i lost my bike in the crowd because i had to pee before the start and i had to go like leave my bike with some strange dudes but uh that wasn't the problem. They said they'd take care of it. And then I walked out of the crowd, had to find the porta potty. And then I, I went to find the guys and I was just like, I have no idea where I left my bike. I have no clue. And then I thought I found it. And then I tapped somebody on the shoulder and he was like, hello. Uh, and I, I looked oh, at no. the bike and I realized it wasn't mine. And I didn't know this person. And he says like, did you just lose your bike in the crowd? And I was like, mm, I'll find it. I'm sure. <laughs> Anyways, I had like 10 minutes before the start and I, I found it right away, but it was, it was like really nerve wracking and they're starting to play like the pump up music and there's these little like Diablos running everywhere, like dressed up like devils blowing fire. And here I am being like, I need my bike. That sounds like way too much stimulation. <laughs> it was a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. 
but yeah, it went really well. Like I, I was kind of, I'm always anxious in big crowds because you just don't know what people are going to be like. Right. Like again, all different levels. And, um, and, uh, I think it was, we're pretty smooth. People were calling out obstacles, you know, we're going around roundabouts and it, everyone just kind of parted and went around and regrouped and the faster folks who were trying to get to the very front were kind of zipping by on the left. And it was, uh, it was pretty safe. Like I, you know, I saw a few wipeouts during the course of the event, but considering how many people were on the road, um, I, I think it went really well. And, uh, like I, I've never been on a closed road event and it was incredible to, to be able to go down these awesome descents and cross the center line and mm. not have to worry about traffic. Like you can go a lot quicker and it's just, uh, it's just a really incredible feeling. So I think my past self would have said like, no, Megan, like, you know, you're not going to pay for, for a Fondo because you can just go ride the route whenever you want. But I, I realized that riding on closed roads is a very different experience. And if you, if you can afford it, I think it's kind of, it's it's worth it it's pretty great i think whenever you put a whole bunch of people of the same mindset together it usually isn't a problem like i can only relate to um 2014 when i went to alaska for the world single speed championships with the party in alaska and um there there was probably two or three hundred people in this bar and we're all single speeders and it was and they were playing metal on the stage and there were no fights you know, everyone was just dancing and having a good time. There was no weirdness. You know, it. I think it's just, yeah, it's just everyone's the same mindset. So pe- people, there's not going to be a lot of trouble, I don't think. But 8,000 people, yeah. holy shit. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of Lycra. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of Lycra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely was. Um yeah, it, uh, I didn't really know how I was going to react to it. And I've never been, like I said, an event like that. I don't think there's many events in the world where they send that many people off in one go. I did Paris, Press Paris, and they send people off in like maybe waves of 150 people or something. Yeah. You know, there's there's waves and then you wait 15 minutes for the next wave. Um, but in this case, they just throw you all out there and see what happens. Uh, and the first section is quite flat, so it is kind of clumped together. And then once the hill climb starts, you start to spread out a bit, but it really takes like 50 to 70 kilometers to actually kind of have any breathing room around you. And I plan to bypass the first checkpoint or not checkpoint, but resupply because I, I figured it would be busy. So, um, so yeah, I stopped at the future once, but um, and they were all really quick. Like I was kind of worried about them being a bit chaotic, but uh, I think people were spread out enough. It wasn't a big deal. And at one point I have a little kid run over to me and like grab my water bottles. And I was like, Hey, what are you doing? Where are you taking my things? And he goes and fills them up and Aww. brings them back to me. Nice. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. I hope you tipped him. Did you give him a tip? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think I had any money on me. It's going to be light. Keep the change, uh, <laughs> yeah. keep the change in the hotel room. <laughs> What what motivates you, Megan? Like what what motivates you to to do all this stuff? Like what's your what's your why? Man, I think that's why I keep writing to figure it out. <laughs> A lot of exploratory writing. I like challenges and I'm competitive and I've had a couple of knee injuries so I can't be competitive in the way that I used to be like in rugby and roller derby. Mm-hmm. So I get my kicks out on the bike. Um I think that there's something really like beautiful about pushing yourself. And that's why I enjoy riding on the indoor trainer as lame as it sounds, because I can totally like tap myself out in a, you know, a hard one hour interval session. And, and I, you know, I often do my training in the evening. So it's kind of like an exhausting note to go to bed on, which I I enjoy. Like I go for this hard session, jump in the sauna and then, you know, wind down for the night. 
Um, and then aside from competing, the whole process of training, I enjoy, I enjoy riding with other people and getting to like, you know, make time for other people in my life as well. My dad bikes, so it's nice to get out with him and, and out with other friends. Um, but yeah, I think it's a lot of things. It's competition and self-discovery and connection. And then just being out in, in nature, I think is what I've really discovered after getting the cutthroat. Um, being on the road is is one thing and it's uh it's like you kind of you get these amazing views and stuff but you always know that you could you know you got to be careful where you position yourself you could get run over by a truck if you're riding down the middle of the road right unless it's a closed road event but being out in um on the you know the quad roads or the you know forest service roads where you know you're going to hear someone coming right like it's uh, a lot less traffic and a lot noisier with the dirt um is a is a totally different experience um yeah and I don't think it'll ever get boring like and I, I guess I've been doing a lot of riding lately the past couple of years and I kind of hope to keep uh keep a busy schedule in terms of my events and stuff until um until I get bored with it and then once it plays out it plays out and I can move on to something else in my life or you know maybe it won't play out maybe I'll just <laughs> just keep riding like a maniac until I'm 70 but um I think it's a, a really interesting experiment to kind of follow your passions and see where they take you and, and, and see where that thread leads and, and just kind of, you know, give into it. And um, I backed off in the winter a bit and I, I, you know, go into Oaxaca without a bicycle. So that'll, that'll be probably my longest time away from a bike for a while. But um, I, I, yeah, I'm okay with that. I've been struggling a lot with injury. How do you keep your body in order oh man yeah i uh i used to go to the gym a lot and i stopped when the pandemic started because my gym closed and i never got around to going back to the gym and then i had a knee injury after the tcr and i've had knee injuries before so it was kind of an old thing flaring up and it was a big um wake-up call for me that i need to do more full body stuff so i uh i started doing uh yoga with adrian on youtube and she's like uh this yoga lady who's pretty great i like her a lot um and then uh doing some more core exercises from uh i think it's like tom danielson's cord vantage is this book that i have lying around um but i think working on full body mobility is really important and i'm definitely guilty of not doing it enough and in the summer i go a little bike crazy and i just want to ride all the time and i don't put in that like rehab and recovery stuff that i, I need to um so yeah i definitely I, I kind of have an, an idea of what I need to do more of and I don't do more of it. I think I like yoga though, or yoga classes, you know, on YouTube or in person because you have someone else to guide you through this like full body mobility routine. Whereas if I have to do it myself, like I have a really hard time getting to the mat and picking what to do. And I will just, you know, do things sloppily because no one's watching. And even if I'm just doing a YouTube video, I feel like way more accountable. Like, you know, I, I feel like they're watching me as like um, ridiculous as that sounds. Um, just to have someone um, guiding you through an exercise, I, I much I put in a higher quality of work than I would alone. And, you know, I wish I, that wasn't the case. I wish I was like, motivated enough to you know to do everything according to my breath and hold the postures properly without anyone um, watching me from the other side of youtube but i'm i'm just not there <laughs> yeah i have no discipline around that to be honest um you know i, I promote dy um, dynamic cyclists a lot 
on the podcast and, and leading into the tour divide, I did, I was pretty disciplined for, yeah, it was every day for maybe four months. Okay. And, uh, it still didn't, after that yo-yo, I was broken. I just, I can't recover from it. I can't, there's some stuff going on mm -hmm. in my leg. It's just, do you do any physiotherapy or acupuncture or any of that kind of thing? Or you all kind of, I don't have extended benefits, no, I so I can't afford anything. <laughs> yeah, I would, if I, if I could afford it, I would. Um, I, I did some acupuncture for a near knee injury, like maybe eight years ago and it helped with the pain, but I had a torn ligament, right? So mm. I needed to have surgery ultimately. Um, but it did help with the pain and I've had really good experiences with physios, but it's just not really in my budget right now. Um, but I, like I said, I have had really good experiences. Um, and I've, I guess I've uh, been able to seek out ones based on recommendations who, you know, are specific to sport athletes. And I know there's a huge difference between people who are just trying to re rehabilitate folks to like, you know, live independently in their home versus someone who wants to get you back on the bike or back on the football field or whatever. It's, it's very different goals. Um, but yeah, it, it does take a toll. Like, a, like when you're pushing yourself day after day, because I think cycling is such a repetitive mm. activity and it could be fine, but something little could add up to be something very damaging. And, um, and you have to be, I don't know. Yeah. You have to take care of your body, but that's so much easier said than done. It really is. And you're right about the, the cycling. I think having more than one thing to do is is super beneficial. But again, it's like when you talk about affording Medicare, it's like I can't really afford to do anything else you know, other than ride a bike. Like skiing has become golf, right, in terms of expense. Oh gosh, like it's so expensive. <laughs> and like, And you have to pay to get on these you know, on these courses or sorry, um, on these, uh, mountains to ski, it's like a $200 day. Right. Or, uh, even Nordic skiing. I mean, unless you have, you know, awesome trails groomed outside your backyard kind of thing, it's, you have to pay to get onto something and I can only afford the bike. I can't afford all this equipment. <laughs> it's really tough. Um, I went, uh, ice skating a bit over, I can't skate at all. I can't skate at all which is so anti-Canadian. I, <laughs> I, went, I went ice skating. It's like, actually, this could be really good for that lateral breaking out of that oh, uh, yeah. that linear mo motion and get a bit more lateral yeah. motion. And I could feel just how inflexible I was, you know, from just being just programmed to just piston pedals. That's all <laughs> you really do. Yeah, it is it was super important to take care of your body, especially you, if you're going to keep pushing it. Yeah, I'm always like, oh, I should take up swimming. Like, I mm. enjoyed swimming as a kid, you know? I love being in the water. And again, it's like the discipline thing. Like, I uh, I don't know. I need, like, a, a, a new best friend to pop into my life and, and have them be like, hey, let's sign up for swimming classes together because, um, you know, I don't really know how to swim properly, but... I think that, that that seems like something that's not that expensive to do. And, you know, it's completely different than biking and it doesn't put strain on your body. Like, it seems like it could be very complimentary. Like, I love hiking and snowshoeing and I don't think that they're like damaging to your body, but I get a lot of muscle tightness and the same mm. muscles I'm tight in from cycling. So I still need to do something else that's not going to keep tightening those muscles. Yeah, same as running, right? Like, yeah. you know, I thought, oh, maybe I should just start to run a little bit, but it's like, no, it's the same. You know, but but more impact, I think. I really admire people say it was like, how do you ride like well in your case, how do you ride like three hundred and fifty kilometers in a day? And it's like, well, how do you run like fifty miles? Like how do you do that? And I have so much admiration for people that run. 
you know like i am completely with you yeah i i am mystified it's incredible yeah. what um people do my greatest achievement was doing the sun run in vancouver and that was 10 kilometers totally i think i was like 16 and that was my pinnacle <laughs> yeah i did the sun run in fact i did the sun run one year i was living in squamish and i took the learn to run course they were offering it in, in oh, squamish cool. non-runner right and i found it it was awesome just the way it uh, progressed you through that uh, just the technique, you know, you start shuffling before you start kind of like really lengthening your stride. And then the next okay. year they asked me to come back as a coach. So I ended up coaching it, but I only ever, I mean, I did the 10 K twice. And I think what the first time I did it was like 48 minutes, which I thought, well, that's pretty good. Like for 10 K, but man, when you get on those bridges, they just destroy your legs. I just found the concrete bridges were mm. so, so hard to run on, and I couldn't wait to get back on the bike. <laughs> it's just so much cushier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially, you know, if you're on something with, like, a nice tire pressure. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. What's next for you? What's coming up next summer? So you say you're going to keep it local? A little bit, yeah. I was invited to speak at the Bikepacking Summit in Eastern Canada. It's in Chelsea, Quebec. Oh, so cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm super stoked about that. So I'm going to take that as an opportunity to do some bikepacking in uh, Ontario on the Canadian Shield. And um, I might do the BT700 or I might just noodle around. I don't really, I honestly don't really care which. Um, I'm just happy to be out there. It sounds like a different style of bikepacking and a chance to meet some really cool people. Um, I kind of have one event lined up a month and then some opportunities to, um, I don't know, figure it out as I go along. So I'm hoping to do the Lost Elephant actually in July this year, which uh, I know you have some experience in yeah. that course. With well, your, it changes all the time. Yeah, mm. changes all the time. But uh, it's it's a great event. It's a super fun event. You'll love it. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, it sounds really challenging and rugged and, um, you know, not too long, but hard terrain, which I, I, I like that idea. It sounds, yeah, awesome. Is it still in that 500K kind of range? I think so, yeah. 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 Um, I think they posted some photos from some, like, recon, and, like, a lot of people had front suspension forks. I was like, oh, it's going to be rough. Oh, <laughs> I'd ride it rigid. I, I would ride it rigid for sure. I have, uh, yeah, my bike is, um, well, yeah, this also cut through and then I have the, um, shock stop stem mm. thing on love it my, that helps a bit. So. Yeah. I love my redshift stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's been really, uh, it's been really great. Um, so I'm gonna, yeah, put it to the test this year in a bit, uh, a few rides. Um, yeah, so that's June, July, August. I was thinking about doing the dark divide. That's a new bikepacking race in Washington. Mm -hmm. Starts in Olympia and it finishes in Portland and it, it sounds pretty cool. I think they're opening up registration soon. And, um, and then September, I'm not sure. Like there's the Pacific coast bike race on the road. There's this silver state, um, 508 and it's a kind of a Ram qualifier and it, it's a supported bike race across Nevada, but they also have a run to near division where you can do it alone. So it's like a 508 mile course and most people do it with a follow vehicle, but you can do it on your own uh, with a bag drop. So I thought that might be cool because I would get to compete against people with follow vehicles <laughs> and I'd be out there doing my own like rondineer thing. Um, I think in 2020, there was a lot of people doing it in the rondineer version because of COVID um, restrictions. But in general, I believe most people do it with a support vehicle. And I, I think it would be cool to do it without one and see how it goes if that's an option. Would you need to do um, a bag drop or is there, is there no resupply through Nevada? Because I know it's a fairly expansive state with a lot of nothing in it i think could you just yeah, do it out of gas right. stations 
I think you could, but I would probably choose the bag drop if they were providing that option mm. in the registration fees and stuff, because then you, um, you just have everything really dialed in and quick. Mm. And um, F2C Nutrition is one of my supporters. Mm. And so I could fuel with more of their stuff, which is um, just make things easier and cheaper because, you know, I already have the stuff. And as you mentioned, gas in, in one of your podcasts, gas station eating gets really expensive, really fast. So expensive. <laughs> it's crazy how yeah. expensive for the garbage that you're putting in your body. It's so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I felt the same way uh, when I finished the Trans Am and I looked at my credit card bill and I was like, what the hell did you do, Megan? Oh man. <laughs> it's like, I think one, I remember one, I mean, I, th I think I took a zero, like I stopped pretty early. So I had to buy dinner and stuff, but a loves truck stop. It was like it dropped 80 bucks in, in just oh, junk, like burritos and just junk, just super junk. And actually I, when I, when I came back from the divide about a month later, I got some blood work done. You know, I'm 50, well, 52 this summer and got to keep tabs on that. And she was like, your cholesterol is a little high. Can you tell me about your diet? It's like, oh, no. <laughs> well, I pretty much ate garbage for a month. And she's like, what? Well, I'm garbage, like orange soda, gummy worms, you know, Starbucks, coffee. You know, I'd sit and eat like 10,000 calories of sandwiches and fries and Oh, I see. It's like, yeah, but I don't eat like that normally. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully that'll bounce back. But yeah, it's very, yeah. it's very gross. Um, yeah, I'd like to do, maybe I'll see a, actually, if you come out for the lost elephant, we should try to connect. Um, yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah. To I talk think about it's like mid-July. Yeah. Cause I'd like to do uh, something. I don't know what I want to do. I'd like to do something. I've, I've been kind of thinking a little bit about trying to do the yo-yo of the Epic again. Just oh, really? want to knock a day off of it. I just want to knock yeah. some time off of it because it took way too long, I think. It just seems like it took way too long to do it, but it was so gnarly. But uh, yeah, I know I have really fond memories of The Lost Elephant. I think you'll dig it. Um, I kind of wish they'd do the cool. old one with the bushwhack in it again. Because <laughs> <laughs> that section like leading into and out of the bushwhacks just felt so remote. Like mm. you just felt like you were the only person in the world when you're out there and uh, scary, but um, yeah, I really dug that section as scary as it was. I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Oh, you'll have a great time on it or the AR. Right. Have you thought about the, the Alberta Rocky 700? Yeah. Yeah. I would do that again. That was a fun race. And I think it'll be the same direction that I did it in before. Right. Cause they alternate every year. So I'll, I'll have a good knowledge of the course and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so that's a possibility as well. And I'd like to, if I can swing it, tour the northern part of the Tour Divide or the mm. Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. And that event's definitely on my horizon. But mm. after kind of like my uh, like mental catastrophe at the TCR, I, I just would like to have more experience and longer um, longer tours and stuff before I tackle another big race. So I think it uh, might be fun to tour the... Um, Canada and then it's Montana right mm -hmm. is that the next state mm -hmm. yeah the Canada Montana bit um and and just get a feel for it and then I maybe have a better idea but um at the moment like I think I would probably go crazy um, it's a <laughs> it's a level beyond where I'm at right now yeah it's a long it's long it's super super long actually I remember leaving um when you, you get I think it's Galton Pass is the last pass that spits you out to the highway before you cross the border. And I honestly felt like Canada was this grizzly bear and it just chewed everybody up. <laughs> it just spit us out into the, into Montana. It was just so hard and cold and snowy and shitty. Oh, and gosh. it was just really, really not super pleasant. 
And then it just it just seems like it just progressively got, I don't want to say easier because I think it, it got a bit easier as you as you got further south physically, but I found mentally it got harder. It's like right. it's almost this flip flop. The physical, um, the, the physical effort that you put in in Canada was so high, but then down south it's all like, is this over yet? Like, just endless desert roads, like. That's what's so. That's what's so amazing is to, is to look out, a, look on the road. You, you're traveling on this road, and you look ahead, and you just see it go on and on. You see it forever, mm-hmm. and it's one. It's just uh, it makes you feel so small, and it makes you feel this this huge sense of awe, you know, because it's just amazing. It's fucking amazing. But then you look, it's like, oh my god, it's just so far, it's just <laughs> so far. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know you'd love it. I think you'll love it. Yeah. Nothing yeah, it sounds like oh, wicked. Yeah, and it's uh, you know logistically to get to the start for me in Kelowna, it's mm. not that difficult. You know, getting home obviously is a different yeah. matter. But well, you could um, yo-yo it. You'll yo-yo it, right? You'll just oh, yo-yo it. <laughs> course, yeah. How many people have yo-yoed the divide? <laughs> not many. Um, um, is it Phil Rice? He did it. I thought didn't okay. didn't um, someone yo-yo yoed it. If I'm not mistaken, <laughs> did Hal Russell yo yo it or yo 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 it? Someone, someone did it like three, four times in a row. Oh, wow. And I'm going to have to Google that. Truth be told, when I, I mean, maybe it was just that the mental um, um, bump I got from, from finishing it. But when I got to the border, I felt as though I could have just turned around and gone back. Like I didn't kind of didn't want it to end. It was over, but it's like, ah, because by then you're, you're fit as fuck. <laughs> like for me, I just got fitter and fitter as I went down and then I'm down okay. there and it's just like, it felt fantastic to, to get to the end. I was so happy and I wasn't super depleted. I just wanted to turn okay. around and go back. But um, yeah, there's not enough money or time for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know it's a, it's a lot. I work part-time and remotely and it's, it's a really great gig and I can, you know, take some time off for sure, but I don't think I could do a yo-yo. I think that would be pushing it unless I brought like, you know, um, a workplace with me and stopped every right. few days, like, you know, maybe doing it not race pace and stopping a couple times a week and putting in like solid eight hour days. I could, I could do that, but I've never traveled with like a device that I could work off of. I just feel like I would smash it to pieces. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, people travel with laptops and tablets. I, I'm just not one of those people. You could do most of it from a phone. I think a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I work remotely quite a bit as well. What do you do? Can I ask you? Oh, of course you can ask me. Yes. Um, <laughs> my title is um, Fund Development and Outreach with the Federation of BC Writers. And oh, we're a cool. provincial nonprofit writing organization. Yeah. Nice. So I look for sponsorship and um, apply for grants, um, work with advertisers for our magazine and newsletter. And the outreach component um, is kind of a hosting event. So I host these regional spotlights with different writing groups around the province. I host a monthly travel writing group. So we get together and we talk about travel writing and share our work and critique oh, it. It's all online. And um, yeah, some other cool initiatives. It's uh, it's pretty great to work with other writers because people have different projects and different problems and you get to kind of hear what's going on in their lives and, um, you know, hear from interesting, similar minded people. And, you know, to be a writer is such a, um, a broad it's it's very broad there's Mm. poets and screenwriters and you know nonfiction and um people who write for middle grade and all sorts of things but i think that you know we all share this kind of 
creative leaning and and desire to you know to share our words and make something so it's um yeah it's been really satisfying and they're uh, super flexible with my hours especially in the summer our kind of busier uh times or in the fall and spring because you know people aren't so keen on attending online programming in the summer anyways everyone's off having vacations with their families yeah. like our attendance is lower so we just drop down to um you know more more minimal programming and um and uh yeah i have a lot more opportunity to do other things but like i said i only work part-time like 15 to 18 hours a week so it's not a lot anyways um and is that your your primary source of income it is, wow. yeah. That's, How do you make uh, that work? Mostly it. How do you make that work? <laughs> well, I'm 38 and I live at home with my parents, so there's your answer. <laughs> but you, but to be able to find meaning in your work, I think is super important as well, you know. And I think everyone takes a different path through life. And you know, like I said, I'm 52. I still don't know what I want to do. You know, I really want to work remotely. I really enjoy it. I find I find working from home is 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 a way more creative space, you know, than than going into an office. So I'm, I'm trying to shape a career for myself that fits my lifestyle, especially that it's, it's, it's evolving so quickly lately. Right. You know, I just want to be able to have the flexibility to, to, yeah, to take off and, and, and say, do a, do a race or, or, a, you know what I really want to do this summer? I just want to do a trip. I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to be an event. I just want to go with a bunch of people and just do a casual bikepacking trip. It seems like every time. Oh, I'm, I would totally be down for that. Oh, if you, uh, yeah, if let's you get do around it. to it. Yeah, that yeah. sounds awesome. Just, just to like you say, even even tour sections of the tour divide, or, um, you know, even I thought about uh, with my partner Amy, like, like just bike pa- bike packing, uh, you know, the Canada section, but just bypass sections that are just unnecessary, like Coco claims, like, ah, just bypass that, go to Elkford and ride over to Fernie, just, just bypass the really gnarly stuff and just enjoy camping and, and bringing a stove and making food and coffee. It's and not mm. eating gummy bears and day old A&W hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. Um, James and I did a little tour on Vancouver Island in yeah. April and we brought a stove and, uh, and it was awesome. You know, we, we had a very different experience than racing and, um, the days were long enough, but the nights were still pretty long. So we found like, and it was chillier. So we mm. either had to like make a fire or just like hang on the tent and talk and get to know each other yeah. better, which was all right as well. Beautiful. <laughs> but... Yeah. Just time to reconnect, not reconnect yeah. with yourself. Right. And, and your partner and stuff. Yeah. That's kind of something I'd really like to do, but yeah, let's, let's hook something up. We'll go yeah, for a that cool. trip. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, where can people learn more about you? Um, yeah, I'm on the internet. <laughs> I, am an, I am an internet being. Yes, um, my Instagram is uh, Megan Hackinen, Um And my, mm, web page is Megan Hackinen as well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know, I take photos of bike trips and cool places. And I'm always happy to answer questions. So mm. if you were listening to this, and you're like, huh, I want to ask Megan a question about a race I'm planning for, then like, go ahead and get in touch with me. I might not be able to help, but I might. Um, I'm always happy to talk with people about bike stuff. Cool. Um, I think that's what's great about the community, right? Is everyone's just so willing to oh, share, yeah. right? And it's like everyone wants everyone else to have a great experience. So yeah, just share the love of cycling through nature and pushing limits and riding bikes. And it's all good stuff. It's good to catch Definitely. up with you. 
for sure it's you too man yeah. um yeah i look forward to seeing you this summer then yeah absolutely yeah now you've got me thinking about the lost elephant so i'll have to see <laughs> <laughs> right on megan well thanks for your time for sure all right chat again soon okay bye okay bye I want to thank Megan again for her time and thank all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that meandering conversation. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just scrambling to put something together and I, I have people out there I, I, I want to reach out to. And this was one of those moments where it was like, hey, Megan, do you have some time? Do you want to talk? And she was like, yeah, man, let's talk. So it was just this instant connection and I started trying to prepare. But then I just thought, you know what? Sometimes you just got to wing it. And that's the whole premise of this podcast is I always wanted it to be just kind of like two people shooting shit over coffee or a pint or, or whatever. But uh, regardless, I hope you dug it. And I hope that it inspired you to get out there and push your limits because, um, you know, funny talking about summer plans. I don't really have any summer plans at the moment. There's things that I'd like to do. Um, there's kind of some big projects that I'd like to tackle. Um but again, I just don't know with this whole new life chapter. I'm not sure what the summer even holds for me. So it's really hard for me to say, but uh, talking about the lost elephant really kind of got me going drink. I don't know if you know, there's, there's a drinking game where if I, if I mention the, the, the race of the lost elephant, you're supposed to drink. Um, you know, it's funny. You could probably apply that to the divide now as I talk about the divide all the time. It's funny how, you know, I'm not the most experienced, um, well, I guess I am. I, maybe I don't give myself enough credit, but you know, I do tend to talk about the same things a lot. But uh, you know, some of these, some of these adventures, whether it be the Lost Elephant or the BC Epic, or you know, I, I'm in BC, so we have a very select number of of events that I that I can attend. You know, and I don't often get the opportunity to go into the states and do stuff down there. So. Um, I'm fairly limited, but you know what? We've got some great routes up here and, um, you know, no complaints. And where I live here in Invermere or where I split my time in Canmore, I can basically hop on the Continental Divide Trail and ride it anytime I want. And that is something that I will one day do again. I'm not sure when I have to save money for it because it's fucking expensive. <laughs> like we said in the podcast, like going to gas stations and Spending 50 bucks on garbage at a gas station, it adds up day after day. But uh, yeah, it's definitely got the wheels turning in my head of uh, something I, I kind of, or things I want to do. And uh, definitely a lot of the local routes I have around around me here, like the AR and the Lost Elephants and the BC Epic and, you know, doing the yo-yo again is is on my radar a little bit. I think I could probably knock a day off. It'd be, be nice if I could do that. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's all up in the air. But uh, yeah, reach out. Let me know what your plans are and send me voice intros. Myback40podcast at gmail.com. You've got a voice memo application on your phone. Whip it out, record me something and email it to me or DM me. I know it's kind of annoying. Um, Instagram, I think, limits it often to one minute. But yeah, send them in. Easy peasy. Whip them out. Don't be shy. I love hearing from everyone. And like I say, if, if you want to reach out, just engage and start having a chat do it my back 40 podcast at gmail.com i'm always open to dms and i always try to get back to everyone who reaches out to me so um i'm getting back on the horse i've got more planned conversations uh in the future coming to you i promise that i'm going to pick it up and uh please subscribe share rate and review the podcast so and specifically subscribe so you don't miss an episode 
And um, I don't know what else I have to say. I feel very frantic right now to get this thing out because I just want to get the podcast out to you. And uh, it's coming your way. So until next week, keep the rubber side down. Mm-hmm.